Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today's episode 346. It's titled, Should You Buy an Electric Car or Truck? I recently got an email from a listener. He is a mechanical engineer in the automotive industry. He mentioned he's been doing some research on electric vehicles versus internal combustion engine cars. And he's having a difficult time understanding the benefit of electric vehicles. He mentioned that he was inspired the other day as he went on a walk with his partner. They both walked the same distance, 1.3 miles. They both set their Apple watches to count how many calories they burned on the walk. He burned 250 kcals and she burned 198. He pointed out the reason he burned more calories was because he weighs more. He wrote, the calories burned or energy required is proportional to the weight carried over a distance. Well, the same must hold true for cars, he wrote. I have pointed out in earlier episodes of the show that internal combustion engines, only about 20% is used for kinetic energy. He says it's closer to 30%, which is fine. And with a battery, 90% is used in kinetic energy. But then he points out that the new electric Hummer will weigh between 10 and 14,000 pounds, while an old H2 from the mid-2000s weighs only 6,500 pounds. And his point is, if carbon emissions is a top priority, then driving an electric vehicle that weighs twice as much as an internal combustion car is grossly inefficient because you're going to use a lot more energy because the vehicle weighs so much more. I thought it was an interesting point. I am not an electric vehicle expert, but I wrote a friend of mine, Gregor McDonald, He's a journalist and analyst that has been researching and writing on the energy transition to renewables and electric vehicles for over a decade. He pointed out that the calculations between an electric vehicle and an internal combustion engine vehicle can't be made on a series of mental napkin notes, as he put it. Doing so will produce an endless daisy chain of errors. The definitive work on electric vehicles versus internal combustion engines, what is known from well to wheel, the oil well, which includes the cost to produce the energy that is used in gasoline as well as the cost of the energy in the electric vehicles, that's done by a number of national-level government research institutes. And in the U.S., that analysis is done by Argonne National Laboratories, and it's sponsored by the Department of Energy. This listener is correct. A car that weighs more is going to use more energy. And a car, an electric vehicle driven somewhere 
where the power is generated via coal versus somewhere where most of the power is generated by renewables. But coal-powered grid, electric vehicles using that grid, will create more carbon. Despite these weight differences and the source of power, electric vehicles use significantly less energy than an internal combustion engine, 65 to 70 percent less. Gregor concluded, if you are brave, you will enter the cave of the argon calculator with its myriad spreadsheets. I entered because I wanted to kind of go through the numbers and understand it myself because we are considering purchasing an electric vehicle. About a year ago, we bought a 2002 Suburban that was converted into a camper, and we used it to go camping last summer. It has been a disappointment in that we have paid over $8,000 in repairs. A new catalytic converter, a new axle, wheel bearings, CV joints, oil gaskets to try to solve the oil leak. This vehicle has 150,000 miles. Meanwhile, we have a 2014 BMW X3, which also has 150,000 miles, and I have never done anything to the car except to replace the brakes, tires, and we replaced the windshield. A couple years ago, we bought a Prius that our daughter drives at school. That was our first hybrid that we bought, and we've been very happy with that. At our cabin, The roads are not great. We need an all-wheel drive vehicle with higher clearance. So we can't really buy a Tesla Model 3. It just wouldn't work. I was intrigued by the new Ford F-150 Lightning. This is a new electric vehicle that will be coming out next spring. I actually put a $100 deposit to be able to potentially order one if I choose. But I'm not sure. I've never really gone through the math. The Argonne model is called the Greenhouse Gases Regulated Emissions in Energy Use and Technology Model, the GREET model for short. And it looks at, from well to pump, the entire fuel cycle, the different ways the fuel is created, different ways for the electric grid, and it also looks at the total cost and energy to produce the car, and then to run the vehicles, be it gas, a hybrid, a plug-in hybrid, or a electric vehicle. One of the first things I discovered as I went through the spreadsheet and looked at the many, many different assumptions is electric vehicles do not weigh twice as much as comparable internal combustion engine vehicles. There's spreadsheet models out, passenger cars, SUVs, and pickup trucks. And I focused most of my analysis on pickup trucks because we are considering the Ford Lightning. What I found in their model is electric vehicles, including the battery, weigh just a little bit more than internal combustion engine vehicles. So in their model, a gasoline-powered truck weighs roughly 4,500 pounds. An electric truck weighs about 4,600 pounds. Now, potentially, the battery could weigh more than that. It could be another 500 pounds for the battery. In their model, what was the heaviest vehicle, and this makes sense, were hybrids. A hybrid vehicle has both a battery and also a traditional internal combustion engine. And the vehicle that weighs the most are plug-in hybrid electric vehicles. The Pro and I drove a plug-in BMW X3 at the dealership the other day just to see what it's like. 
That vehicle can go 30 miles just on its battery, but it's plug-in because the battery technology used in a traditional hybrid and a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle is different. The battery in the plug-in electric vehicle tend to be larger than the batteries in a traditional hybrid vehicle, and because the battery is larger, they weigh more. I went looking for actual models in production, and one is the Mini Cooper, which is produced by BMW. Its internal combustion engine version weighs 2,900 pounds. The electric version weighs 3,100 pounds, so about 200 pounds more. The Ford F-150 Lightning pickup truck weighs about 6,500 pounds, which is about 1,000 pounds more than the Ford F-150 with the 3.5-liter engine. The Ford F-150 Lightning, the battery alone, will weigh about 1,800 pounds. But when we look at the Greek model and go through the numbers, we'll see that the energy efficiency of an electric truck is so much greater than an internal combustion engine truck, even if that electric truck weighs more, a thousand pounds more. Now, if the truck weighs double, that's another matter, but that's not the case. They don't weigh double. In the case of the Ford F-150, it's about a thousand pounds more. Clearly, a heavier vehicle will use more energy, but we can't compare a brand new electric vehicle with a very old internal combustion engine vehicle. We really need to do a brand new electric vehicle, same model with its internal combustion engine sister. So when we look at the actual energy being used from well to wheel, so to produce the vehicles, to produce the energy used to run the vehicles, what we see is that there's no competition. They have many different measurements in this spreadsheet, but I'll focus on BTUs per mile. An internal combustion engine truck uses about 8,600 BTUs per mile, 200% more than electric, which is 2,850 BTU per mile. The electricity for that truck is assuming the standard U.S. energy mix, which has about 37% natural gas, 25% coal, 20% nuclear power, and about 17% renewables, and then there's some biomass in there and some residual oil. 200% more electricity for the internal combustion engine truck. The hybrid uses 133% more energy, as measured by BTU per mile, than the electric version. And then the plug-in hybrid electric version uses 68% more. I would have thought that a plug-in hybrid or a traditional hybrid would be more energy efficient than they were. But the electric is incredibly efficient. We need to look at different energy grids. And what I found was in the area of the U.S. that is the most energy inefficient in terms of the type of input used to create electricity is the upper Midwest, Nebraska, North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, Minnesota. They use 43% coal, 12% renewables. And the most efficient was the Western U.S. with 17% coal and about 42% renewables. The difference for that electric truck in 
terms of BTU per mile is in that upper Midwest, where there's a great deal more coal usage, it was 3,480 BTU per mile. In the western U.S., the most efficient area, 2,700 BTU per mile. So about 600 BTU per mile difference in the energy used between an inefficient grid, a grid that creates more emissions than one that's more efficient, that western mix. So it does make a difference with regard to how the electricity is produced, used to charge the electric vehicle. But it doesn't make enough difference to justify, strictly from an energy use basis, an internal combustion engine truck. They are significantly more inefficient than an electric truck. Of course, the amount of energy consumed is just one way to look at it. What about the actual cost of owning the vehicle over time? And I look for different analyses for this. And the best article I found was by Roberto Baldwin writing for Car and Driver. This came out in May 2020. It was titled EV versus Gas, Which Cars Are Cheaper to Own? They did a three-year cost analysis. They were focusing on two vehicles that had an electric version and a gas-powered version, the Mini Cooper and the Hyundai Kona. Their analysis was based on 45,000 miles, so about 15,000 miles per year. They looked at the main components that determine the cost of a car, the maintenance, the energy cost, the depreciation, and then what the car costs to buy. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see 
all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. For the maintenance, it's less for an electric vehicle. And they based their analysis on AAA's 2019 estimates of maintenance costs for different vehicles. Ford is saying their new Ford Lightning F-150 will cost 40% less than the gas-powered version to maintain. There are just less parts for an electric vehicle. What they found then in looking at the Mini Cooper and the Hyundai Kona was that maintenance was about 30 to 40% more expensive to maintain the internal combustion engine vehicle. For example, the Mini gas-powered was $0.08 per mile for a total of $3,839 in maintenance. The electric was $0.6 per mile or $2,970. These are cars that are only three years old. Presumably, the older the car, the more the gas-powered vehicle will cost to maintain because there's just more parts to break. But in the, even in the first three years, the electric vehicle was less expensive. Taking a look at the energy cost, they assumed $2.44 per gallon for gas, for regular $3.11 per premium per gallon. The Mini requires premium. And their kilowatt rate per hour was just under $0.13 cents per kilowatt hour. Our power here in Idaho is less than that. It's closer to $0.08 cents per kilowatt hour, and that certainly factors in, well, what does it cost? In that case, gas is still going to be more expensive. So they estimate the total cost of gas for the Mini Cooper was $4,478 over the three-year period. The electric Mini was $1,939. It cost twice as much for the gas-powered version of the Mini compared to the electric version in terms of the energy cost. For the Hyundai Kona, it was also twice as much, $3,600 for the gas, $1,723 for electricity. The next area, and the one that's probably the most difficult to estimate, is the depreciation. It would be interesting to see in leasing both vehicles what residual is the company assuming for an electric Mini Cooper versus a gas one. The reality is electric vehicles do cost more because of the battery technology and higher priced cars tend to have more depreciation. From that aspect, they estimated that in the first three years, a mini hardtop would suffer $8,900 in depreciation. The value of the car would fall by $8,900 compared to the price paid. And the electric version of the mini would have $13,600 of depreciation. For the Kona gas-powered, about $10,600 depreciation, and the electric, $12,200. So they're assuming the electric vehicles will depreciate more because they are more expensive. One of the interesting stats in the Argonne Labs GREET model is their estimate of lifetime vehicle miles traveled. They assumed that the internal combustion engine and hybrid version 
of the truck will travel 183,000 miles over its lifetime, whereas the electric, they only assume 128,000 miles, presumably because at that point the batteries need to be replaced. And so there is an argument to suggest depreciation should be more for electric vehicles, not only because they cost more, but because they don't necessarily last as long. Finally, when they looked at what was the cost of the car, including depreciation, the energy cost, and the maintenance, the three-year cost of ownership for the Mini Electric was $49,312. For the Mini gas-powered hardtop, it was $41,454. So about an $8,000 difference. Now, that was before a federal tax credit. Many countries give purchasers of electric vehicles a tax credit. In the U.S., it's $7,500, although each manufacturer only gets so many tax credits. So one of the things we saw with the Ford Lightning is not necessarily everyone that buys it will be able to get the tax credit. But if you factor in the tax credit, the three-year cost of owning the electric Mini versus the gas-powered is about the same. The Hyundai Kona was a little different. The total cost before tax credit, total cost of ownership was $55,311 for the electric vehicle and just under $40,000 for the gas-powered. So even after factoring in the the tax credit, the gas-powered Hyundai is the better deal. Cost, obviously, is just one aspect. One of the things that attracts me to an electric vehicle is they're just quiet. I like cars that are quiet that the engine doesn't make any noise. Some people like pickup trucks because they're not quiet. They like the cars to be noisy, for the engine to roar. One of the options as we were building out this Suburban camper was what type of exhaust system do we want? In other words, how much noise do we want the truck to make? But I like it quiet. Another aspect is I like the idea of generating a smaller carbon footprint with the electric. And clearly, the electric vehicle is extremely more efficient from that aspect. I like the lower maintenance cost, and and not just the cost. I just find it extremely frustrating to get cars fixed. They have to keep taking the car to the shop and having them fix something else on this Suburban. I like not having to fix cars. The downside of the electric vehicle is the range. The Ford Lightning potentially only goes to 300 miles. Some electric vehicles have a smaller range than that. And then there's the inconvenience of charging. You have to plot out your trip to make sure it gets charged. That's something that concerns LaPrille. She kind of likes the hybrid version. But again, when you start factoring in the greater efficiency of an electric versus a plug in hybrid electric or a traditional hybrid, the electric is way more efficient. And maybe it justifies that inconvenience. Right now, the electric vehicles are more expensive. They will not always be. A recent price survey by Bloomberg NEF found that the average price per kilowatt hour for a lithium-ion battery pack fell to $137 in 2020, down 13% from $157 in 2019. Ten years ago, those batteries sold for $1,100 per kilowatt hour. Price parity between an electric vehicle and an internal combustion engine vehicle 
is estimated to be about $100 per kilowatt hour if that's what the battery pack cost. And Bloomberg's analysts expect that battery makers will get to that mark in 2023 of $101 per kilowatt hour. The battery is about 30% of the cost of an electric vehicle. So as battery technology improves, the cost of electric vehicles will go down so they'll be more price competitive relative to internal combustion engine over the life cycle of the car. That is a compelling case to own one. If you can overcome the inconvenience factor of having to charge the car if you take a lot of long trips. If you don't travel long distances, then it's, in my mind, a fairly easy decision if you're concerned about the potential climate impact of driving a vehicle. We're going to sell the Suburban, taking it in to get it repaired one more time. We certainly have all the paperwork that we'll share to the potential buyers. But one of the things that you're seeing, and we saw this last week as we were driving around car lots, is that there are not a whole lot of vehicles out there due to semiconductor shortages. The Toyota lot was practically empty. And because of that, the price of used cars have spiked. There's also a shortage of recreation vehicles. So our hope is if we can sell the Suburban, show them the paperwork, that we'll be able to recoup most of our cost because the build-out specialist, Suboverlin, their wait list is October 2022. That's If you want a new Suboverlin, converted Suburban, you have to wait until October of next year. So we'll see if we can get our money out of it, and then we're just going to wait and see. We'll go with the one car. LaPral and I will share and maybe we'll go with the Ford Lightning. Maybe we'll do an electric vehicle. We definitely need something that has all-wheel drive and high clearance. I'm leaning toward the electric because they're quiet, because there's lower maintenance, because they use less energy. And I'm willing to pay a premium for that for now, even if there's the inconvenience of having to charge it as we travel. And that's episode 346. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you would like to learn more about investing, becoming a better investor, there's two ways I can help with that. First, consider signing up for my weekly email newsletter, The Insider's Guide. It's where I share about that week's episode. I share the notes and research materials that I use to prepare it and share an essay on money, investing, and the economy to help you become a better investor. When you sign up for The Insider's Guide, you'll get my free guide, 10 Questions to Master Successful Investing. This is a summary of the key points from my book by the same name. The second way I can help is by you becoming a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus. Plus membership gives you essential portfolio tools, training, and a community to invest with confidence and achieve your financial goals. There's over 1,000 Money for the Rest of Us Plus members. They continue as members because they get access to a proven investment approach and expert portfolio insights delivered in a clear and concise style they can understand. Here's some of what you get with Plus Membership. Global multi-asset class portfolio examples. A monthly investment conditions and strategy report to help you keep your emotions in check. An exclusive member-only podcast called Money for the Rest of Us Plus, as well as an ad-free version of the regular podcast. And with both of those podcasts, you get written transcripts. Plus membership includes best-in-class video lessons, portfolio building tools and templates, as well as access to my portfolio holdings and trades. You'll be able to interact with other members in the member forum 
and ultimately get the tools and the community you need to feel confident in your investing. Plus, membership is a voice of calm and reason amidst the chaos. We'd love to have you as a member. You can learn more at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week. 